0: Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your kindness to us, your grace, uh, your undeserved uh, grace given given to us. Uh, We thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you that we can come to church and spend time together, and we thank you that now we have the huge privilege of gathering uh, to hear your word and for it to impact our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would not just hear your word, but that we would be doers of it, that we would be obedient to it and that we would know great joy as we love, follow, enjoy and adore and worship you. And we ask it in the good name of your son Jesus, our saviour. Amen. Okay. Um, oh, what makes Healthy Church? Has that been there the whole time. What makes a Healthy Church is the series that we've been thinking about. Jai designed this great logo for us. I hope you get your five a day uh, to stay healthy. Uh, This last one is really um, about the whole subject of leadership. What makes a healthy church is is having uh, biblical leadership. And we should uh, spend some time thinking about that. It's not easy as a leader to preach about leadership. But uh, we're going to have a go. And if you don't throw any tomatoes, then I'll know at the end that we've done okay. Um, I want to begin with a definition uh, we're going to look at three things. This is the first one. I want to suggest to you that Christian leadership is, is about really helping other people to be happy in God. I think that's a great definition of Christian leadership. Helping other people to be happy in God. I wonder what definition you would uh, give uh, for, for a Christian leader. Well, we're going to turn under this first definition to three different passages in the Bible. So, turn with me first of all, I'll put it up here, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and the last verse in that chapter. We're going to jump around a little today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. it's on page 1159 if you've got one of the Red Church Bibles okay verse 24 there we're not going to kind of look at all the context for this but Paul is in the middle really of a crisis and he's writing to the church in Corinth and he just says there in verse 24 not that we lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm I think that verse is a great definition of Christian leadership Paul is a leader uh, you'll know uh, perhaps the character of Paul in the first century he was a great missionary um, after having his Damascus Road experience and encountering Jesus and here he writes to these people who are in some degree of crisis and he says to them we don't, we don't want to lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. Let me just make some observations on that. First of all I want you to notice that in Paul's view leadership is not a bombastic crushing authoritarian thing. Notice how he says we don't want to lord it over your faith. We're not here to oppress you or be superior to you in a sense, even though Paul is an apostle, even though Paul's in the middle of a crisis here where he's having to say some very difficult things, yet he still says, "I don't see my leadership as something that is there to overwhelm you or to crush you." Second thing I want you to notice is that this involves work on both sides. Uh, what does Paul say there we work with you for your joy it isn't the case as we'll see that Christian leaders should shovel joy into people's lives there is a responsibility on the people who follow too what Paul's saying is we want to cooperate with you and work with you for your joy that involves leaders doing what they should but it also involves the people who are following doing what they should this is a cooperation it isn't them and us the ultimate aim is the joy of the people of God. And then I want you to notice that this is quite an odd statement. Because Paul says here, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your faith. Now he doesn't say that, does he? You would kind of expect him to say, we don't want to lord it over your faith, we want to work with you for your faith. But he doesn't say that. What he says is, we don't want to lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy... Because it is by faith that you stand firm. Did you notice how he introduces the theme of joy as well as faith? We'll see this as we go through, I hope. There are two things going on in this verse. The first is that there is a sense in which joy is the soil that true faith grows in. And that the faith that grows in that soil is what helps you to endure and to stand firm. I think that's really interesting that Paul puts that that way round. We often think that it is faith and then joy. Paul actually here seems to reverse that and, and, and seems to imply that joy is the soil that faith grows in. Turn secondly with me to another passage Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 25 and um, that's on page 1179 and Paul says something very similar here. In this this letter that Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, Paul is writing from prison. He's been in prison because of his gospel preaching and uh, this, these, these are beloved friends that he loves in Philippi. Paul has been instrumental in planting or starting this church and uh, if you just look with me at verse um, 22 I suppose we could break in. Paul's worried that His life's about to come to an end. He doesn't know if this persecution is going to end. In his execution, and he says in verse 20, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And will continue with all of you. For your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Well, there's another good definition of leadership, I think, isn't it? I want to continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ would bubble over overflow on account of my work with you. That's the heart of a leader, isn't it? He wants the people to have a joy that is overflowing. And that joy isn't just circumstantial. He says that this is a joy in Christ. There's a great connection there again between faith and joy. And the secret and foundation of it all is the fact that they'll be able to be happy in God because of what Jesus has done what Paul wants for them is for them to be proud of Jesus he longs to see them in a place where in their hearts they make much of Christ Now why would anyone uh, make much of Jesus what is so special about Jesus that this would be the goal of a Christian leader well, the third passage I want us to turn to you is the one that Angela read. And um, it's in Romans chapter 5. So we're just going to nip back there. Romans chapter 5. And uh, let me just show you some other things about this idea of joy. Uh, this <laughs> ben, <or laughs> ben just said to me at the back, you know how long it took Martin Lloyd-Jones to preach through this chapter. And you're hoping to do it this morning. Well I'm not we're not gonna kind of expound this whole chapter, but I want you to notice the note of joy. That, that's really why I'm drawn to this. What is it about Jesus? Paul says in verse one, Since we've been justified through faith, the word justified means to be right with God. Since we've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God. God is not our enemy anymore. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What Paul is pointing out to them here is that Christian believers have gained access into a new relationship with God that is saturated with grace undeserved kindness and this is what God is like despite the fact we're not like this God loves to lavish his kindness on selfish sinful fallen, broken, rebellious people in his world and a Christian is someone who has gained access into that kind of grace Would that not bring great joy? As a a silly illustration, imagine you were living homeless uh, on the street in London, dressed in dirty clothes, nothing to eat, and someone came out of Buckingham Palace, the gates opened, and they came to you and said, I want to bring you in to the palace. And you're brought in, given new clothes. And you're allowed to sit at the same table as the king, the queen, with a queen only. A Christian is someone who, like that pauper in a way, has been brought into a completely new status. Brought not just into the presence of a king or queen, but into a new relationship into his very family. And how is it possible well it's possible because of Jesus that's exactly what Paul says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and the reason that it's possible is Paul says in verse 6 when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly can we let's just pause there Christ died for the ungodly I don't want you to miss that Christ did not die for people Who think that they're somehow impressing God with their great morality. Jesus Christ left heaven and came down to this world to die for who? For the ungodly. Is that not an encouragement to you and me? That Jesus should lay down his life for people who don't deserve it. You and I are not right with God. And yet God gives us Jesus' rightness. You and I are not clean, but God gives us his cleanness. It's a gift to be received, and it all depends on Jesus. He is the one to rejoice in, be proud of, to boast in. Someone showed me a great diagram this week. Let me just um, see if I can uh, do this. I I can't do it with a marker pen because it's too high, so I have to show you on the slide. But the little dot at the bottom there, just imagine that that's you. When, when you become a Christian, one of the first things you realise is that you are a sinner. You know, we don't like talking about sin, do we, in this culture. And you realise that Jesus has come and died for your sins. But what happens when you become a Christian is that your values begin to change and the the Christian life in part, you begin to realise that actually... I'm more sinful than I thought I was when I became a Christian. The more I'm reading the Bible, the more I'm realising it's saying things that I never saw before. Some people, maybe maybe that's kind of a Dharma thing. But the great joy in the Christian life is that as you realise how selfish, sinful you are, the other thing that happens is that you realise that God's love is bigger than you thought it was. And what's happening to you is that the cross that you trusted in, your appreciation of it is growing all the time. As you realise just who you are and just who God is and what he's done for you, what happens but the cross becomes more and more important to you and more and more glorious. The problem for us as Christian believers is that if we pretend that either we're not sinners or that God doesn't really love us like that what will happen? Your view of the cross will be very weak. Just look with me again at this um, at the end of verse 2 Paul says we rejoiced In the hope of the glory of God. God has forgiven us. Brought us into his family. He has become our father. He sent Jesus to be our saviour. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What that means is that we look forward to the day. When all things will be restored. Including our broken selfish hearts. And we look forward to the day one will be knowing and appreciating and seeing that glory and what does Paul then say in verse 5 God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit the joy the grace, the forgiveness the love is all given to us by God the job of Christian leaders is to help people to be happy in God let me give you two applications of this Um, first of all leaders need to cultivate joy in God in order to be able to feed others can I share a secret with you I I can't do my job as a Christian minister unless I know that these things are true unless my heart is full of Christ in secret I'll have nothing to give you do you realise that I can't give you anything from a tank that's empty And one of the dangers in ministry is that leaders begin to build their identity in their work or their ministry, their success or fear of failure. Sometimes leaders who preach, I know this, can instead of reading the Bible to increase their joy in God, they read the Bible to prepare a sermon. Sometimes I can be reading the Bible, oh, that's a good thing to preach on, I'll have to make a note of that. And instead of reading it for God to feed my own heart I'm reading it in order for him to that would be good to say to you leaders have many pitfalls leaders need looking after and uh, you need to look after your leaders can I say that humbly the lecturer who was uh, lecturing last week to us was telling me about one man who supported him in his ministry financially he was a very wealthy businessman and he supported him in ministry And one day he took him to one side and he said, Are you spending time cultivating joy in God? That was an odd question. And he said, The moment that you stop doing that, I will stop supporting you. Because if you're not cultivating joy in God, you'll have nothing to feed me with. And what a great challenge! What a great challenge! Do you realise when you're praying for your leaders, the best thing you can pray for, for your leaders, is that they will be refreshed and grounded in grace themselves. So that they can feed you from the fullness God's given to them. Second application, I suppose, is this one. Leaders should encourage other people to find their joy in God, as opposed to just giving them stuff to do. Let me ask, you, if you're a Christian, you, you, maybe you read the Bible each day and your personal devotions. Let me ask you the question, why do you read the Bible? Many people answer that by saying, well, I want to get to know God. I want, to, I want information, knowledge. No, that, that is partly true. But the reason God's word is important to us is so that we put roots down into him And multiply and increase our joy in him. Do you ever. I don't know I feel guilty. I've not read my Bible today. Isn't it a different thing when you look at it and think. When I come to the Bible. My aim is to increase my joy in God. Not to tick a box. Not to learn more information. Do you ever read the Bible and just stop. And pause to worship him. Do you ever just tell him that you love him and that he amazes you and you can't almost believe that he's lavished such kindness upon you? And what about your service for others? Some of you are very busy in this church doing all sorts of incredible and good things, but are you doing them from a sense of duty? Or a sense of, oh, I'd feel guilty if I didn't do it. Or are you doing the things you do from a heart that loves Jesus? Sometimes I think it's good for us to ask these kind of questions. If our personal lives and our service of God are poor, maybe, maybe that's because we've lost our joy in God and what we're doing is just going through the motions of religious duty and we don't love him love joy in him the job of Christian leaders is not to give people stuff to do and make them feel guilty when they're not doing it, the job of Christian leaders is to point people to Jesus so that they can rejoice in him and then serve God from a full heart we could stop there but I've got another definition this is number two that's number one number two very helpfully comes after number one <coughs> leadership is not just about helping other people to be happy in God but it, o- it is also about equipping others to make disciples who then make disciples it's a bit of a long sentence that isn't it can you get your head around that What I'm trying to say is, the first part of this sentence is that leadership is not about spoon-feeding people who are passively receiving what is being spoon-fed to them. Turn with me, just to make you work again, to Ephesians chapter 4. This is another letter that Paul wrote. Ephesians chapter 4, page 1175. 1175 and here Paul is talking about the church and unity and peace and love and he talks about Jesus ascending to heaven and giving gifts to his church and in verse 11 there he says it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers I think that verse sums up leaders in other words, Jesus, having ascended to heaven, has given his church the gift of leaders. That's what the verse 11 says. But why has Jesus given his church leaders? Well, verse 12 says, he's done this to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, he he doesn't say... Notice in verse 12, Paul doesn't say, Jesus has given the church all these different kinds of leaders so that the body of Christ may be built up. He doesn't say that, does he? He says that God has given leaders to his church to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, the job of a leader is not primarily to build up the church... The job of a leader is to equip the people in the church to build up one another. Is that not a different kind of mindset? This is not about the leader at the front spoon-feeding people and them going, thanks very much. What should be going on is that proper biblical leadership is about encouraging and equipping people in the church to build one another up. That is part of a leader building up a church, of course, but that's a different mindset, isn't it? Let me just give you four dangers. I don't like talking about danger; it sounds more negative, doesn't it? But sometimes we can learn by contrast. Let, let me give you some dangers here. The dangers of paid ministry. One of some of those of you in this church, if, if you're visiting, you can zone out for a couple of minutes here. But in our church, we've made some massive strides in the last couple of years. We've appointed paid staff to lead God's people here. And some volunteers as well, who do it in return for and lodgings, but don't get paid a salary. I came to our church, Richard came and joined our church in September. One of the dangers for you, of this church, small as it is, having paid staff, is that you think, we've got paid staff now, they'll do all the work. It's not what Paul says here. Actually, what's happening here is that Jesus is giving you, this church family here, leaders whose job it is to equip you to build one another up. That's a bit harder for you, isn't it? (laughs) The dangers of paid staff. It is a great blessing to have staff, volunteers and paid staff. But there's a danger that the church thinks it's their job to do these things, not mine that's not biblical here's another one the danger of a one man ministry there are churches where the minister is one person who does everything does all the preaching does all the visiting does all the organising and the whole church is filled with consumers passive receivers let me, let me open it up to you to ask you what, what is wrong with that as a model of ministry uh, feel free to, to shout out for the people who are listening on the internet I have to repeat what you say because you haven't got a microphone but what is, what, is wrong, what is the danger, what's wrong with the model of having one guy who does everything and everyone else just passively receives what he or she gives them, what, do you, what, can you, what flaws can you see in that is me making you work now, isn't it? Can you see any flaws in that? Or is that how you would like things to be? He will eventually burn out. Eventually burn out. <laughs> That's true. That is true. There are are leaders. Apart from that, we got some stats given to us this last week on the course I was doing. And the attrition rates... For ministers who have been in ministry for say 15 years and are in their 40s are going through the roof. I'm 42. I've been the minister of this church for about 3 or 4 years now full time, lay ministry before that. If I was doing this on my own, without any help, the evidence shows that I wouldn't last. The attrition rates go through the roof. And what you would have is a minister who would walk out the door one one day and never come back. So many churches experience that and then they call another minister and ask him to do all the same things for another 15 years and then one day he walks out and never comes back. Do churches like that grow? Well, if they do, it'll, be, it'll just burn out quicker. <laughs> if they don't, he might just contain it. What other flaws could you see in that? Lisa? Very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Just work, might not yeah. So I, I think that underlines an important point. Lisa's saying there that one man on his own doesn't necessarily have all the ideas, and actually having a plurality of leaders is very healthy. And that's that's a really interesting point. I think evidence shows that churches that are growing generally will have a team approach to leadership and it won't all be vested in one individual anybody else? If we don't, oh, go on, you go ahead Yeah. so actually it doesn't help people in the church to grow and take responsibility and save if someone's doing it all for them that's a good point Lisa you going to say something else? I was going to say as well in churches with different age groups as well so you need different support people different ages for different people yeah. that got things in common yeah that's true as well yeah so different leaders maybe apply uh, kind of leading different elements of the church's ministry as well you can say what you like if they just want to be you can say anything yeah If there's just one leader, the danger is that he can be quite autocratic. Is that what you mean? He can just say what he thinks and there's no checks and balances. That, I, I mean, you know, in our churches, we've been quite small. It, it, it has been a huge challenge for me personally to transition into full-time ministry. Because the danger is, in a small church, the previous minister, as some of you will know, very sadly passed away it is very easy for one man to put his hand up and say, I'll lead, and everyone goes, well we don't really know anybody else who'd be willing to do it, so you might as well. And then ten years later what happens is, the church was saying we didn't really want him to do it after all. And you'll notice as you go back in time that the approach we've taken here in this church is to involve wise leaders who know you and know me, to help us work through a process of approving and exploring and So that there's no sense if someone foisting themselves on a church or don't worry. (laughs) Um, So it's very important to have accountability and a plural leadership team really helps with that. And that's one of the reasons I've been so keen to recruit someone like Rich to come and join me and you here in our church. There are real dangers in a one man ministry. I don't think churches like that can really grow. The other issue that we haven't mentioned is that when when that kind of ministry happens, the reality is that other leaders will never be trained. Because the person who's leading is being possessive and not liberating other people to lead. That's a big factor in a church, isn't it? It's mine. I'm the leader. You do what I say. You'll notice in this church that we have a great emphasis on all people who can be being involved. Different people reading the Bible, praying, praying, Leading, teaching Sunday school, crash. We have our little staff steering team thing on a Wednesday, where I don't know, maybe eight or nine of us now who are responsible for different ministries and meeting. All these things are attempts to develop and train ourselves and work together as a team. My job isn't to do everything. If I try and do everything, I won't be here very long. My job is to equip you to do everything. And that's a different challenge, isn't it, for both of us? Leadership also is a spiritual gift. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, Paul gives a list of different gifts. Generosity, (coughs) encouragement, hospitality, I think, was one in there. Leadership is a spiritual gift. That means that the leader isn't to be... It's not like leadership is a separate department over here somewhere. Leadership is one spiritual gift that is important for the health of the church. But that leadership is part of the church. And part of facilitating an environment. Where all the believers in that church can flourish. So it isn't a means to an end. It's a spiritual gift. So that the church can be equipped. What is the aim of the church? Some people would say if I could coin it in a phrase, the aim of the church is to glorify God and to make him known to a lost world. Well, what's the job of a leader then? The job of a leader is to equip Christian believers to glorify God and to make God known to a lost world. Not to do it all himself so they'd stand watching, but to equip them to be involved in that whole process. Does that sound like an exciting church to you? Where everyone's involved in that process? And that process is fueled by people who are already happy in God. This is a biblical view of church. So you have two questions now that you can ask about your church. And I want you to ask them. Does your involvement in this church increase your joy in God? That's number one. And secondly... Does it send you out to save him and make him known? If our church is not doing that, we're failing as a church family. We're failing as leaders. You can can evaluate now what our church is about. Does church increase your joy in God? And does it send you out and equip you to build one another up and to make Jesus known to others? Let me just talk about a couple of other dangers. These are applications, really, but I want to say this. Some of you, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently in this last quarter, there are many people, I'm perhaps one of them, but I'm fortunate in that I'm doing this full-time. Many people are very time poor. We, We live in a culture now that is unlike what our culture was even 50 years ago. I think the levels of stress, busyness, responsibility anxiety. And there is a real, there's a, there's a massive lot of guilt, I think, for many people who think, I, I just can't be involved and I feel guilty. So here, here's a thought for you. There is a danger sometimes that we divide the secular and the spiritual more than we ought to do. Um, Some of you have to work hard and study hard. Sometimes you won't get to things. And I want to encourage you to get to things if you can get to things. But I also want you to see that when you go out into your world, whatever you do, whether you're doing accounts, or whether you're a teacher, or whether you're studying, when you go out into your world, you are not going out into some kind of second best world that is a secular world that's different to this holy spiritual world over here. What you're doing is going out into your world to be light and salt and that is part of your ministry just as much as being in church doing holy things is. sometimes we divide those things up and we say oh this is not church, it's work poor old me I'm doing work rather than something spiritual I don't want to make people come to church out of a sense of guilt I want you to see that your whole life is ministry and to enjoy it. Not to feel guilty of doing this instead of this, or this instead of this. There is a mindset involved here in coming to church to be fed and refreshed and helped and encouraged and to recover a sense of joy in God and then go out into your world to make Him known. And whatever it is you do in your life, Remember that God loves you and gives you his grace so that you can both enjoy him and make him known where you are. So if you're the kind of person who is so time poor that you can't be fully involved in everything that's going on, don't neglect the fact that you have a ministry in the sphere that you work in. And that is part of our church family too. For you to come and be fed and fellowship and then sent out into that environment. But the the last thing I want to say on this, the danger in trying to do things from a dry well, I, I alluded to that for leaders. The challenge for some of you can be, and for me, is that we're sometimes so busy that we fail to make time to cultivate joy in our relationship with God. And I don't think it is good just to come because we feel guilty. What is really needed is to be able to do things from a full heart rather than an empty heart. Is that not true? And it is really important that you and I build habits into our lives that will help us to be refreshed rather than manic. Is that not true? Get some rest. Get into God's Word. Because, as the Bible says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. It is only in secret. Where the priorities of your life can be worked out and you cannot run on empty spiritually. If the tank is empty, you need to go to the one who can turn the tap on and fill the tank back up. So that you can then go out again refreshed. Sometimes we talk about coming to church and it's, we're going to a Bible study. I mean, we should change this terminology. Once upon a time, that would sound exciting. Bible study now sounds like we're just studying the Bible for its own sake to increase our knowledge. What we're doing is having our hearts engaged so that we can worship God with joy. Maybe we should call them joy meetings or something. I don't know. Let's change the terminology so that we get the emphasis right. So, there's two dangers. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that all your secular busyness is bad and feel guilty on the one hand. But neither should you fall into the trap of being so busy that you are running on empty, spiritually on the other hand. It's a balance. My overall point is that churches grow and bring glory to God when they are intentional in developing and training all the members to be equipped and participating in ministry for the benefit of the whole. And that is the job of a Christian leader. Wowza, we need to. I said do a uh, three, and I've got a little bit of stuff to say at the end, so let's write along. Here's a, here's a third definition leadership is relational, not just functional. There is work to be done, there are tasks to do, there are things to be achieved. But it does involve cooperation, involvement, teamwork, togetherness. Leadership is not just about getting things done, but it is about relating together as people okay is not Jesus the great example of this what did Jesus do he called together a small team and said follow me he invited them into his life and invested his life into theirs they were slow I think they must have irritated him after three years they still didn't fully understand who he was And yet those men have turned our world upside down by the power of God's Spirit. Sharing his heart, his life, his teaching, imparting truth to them. And did he do that so they could lie in a hammock, eating marshmallows, listening to soothing music, or the the sea lapping up on the shore? No, he, he invested his life in them So that he could send them out to invest their lives in other people's lives. He was equipping them to make disciples who would then make other disciples. Isn't that just brilliant? You can read complicated books on management and leadership. But you won't find a better model than that. Anyway. Matthew chapter 11. What about the image that Jesus uses at the end of that chapter? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, like the oxen, and learn of me. I am humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Is that the image of leaders that you have in your mind? Leaders who come alongside you and help you and yoke themselves to you. And What about Paul 2? There's an amazing passage a couple of years ago we were going through the letter that Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and in chapter 1 within about a few verses he describes himself as a mother and a father in a few verses why? because his leadership style was relational he wasn't there just to be the big cheese he was there to mother them and father them he was there to be a spiritual parent to them Why do I say all this? Well, I think you would agree with me if I said to you that leadership, it involves authority to some degree and authority is a dirty word really in our culture. Mark Dava was sat, he's from America Mark Dava if you don't know, but he was sat in Cambridge in England chatting to a friend and this friend in Cambridge was very angry at a decision that the council had made and they were having dinner together. And his friend was the kind of chap who was regularly doing this sort of thing, just moaning. And you'll never guess what they have done now. It's always them, isn't it? Who are they? Sometimes it's the government. You'll never guess what they've done now. Them over there, ridiculous. You'll never guess what they've gone and done now, the council. Devil was a little bit worried about his attitude being so cynical. So he said to him, he just asked him a simple question. Do you think authority is bad? He thought his friend would have given him a sort of, you know, a nuanced answer to that but his friend just said, yep I do, I think authority is bad. Bosh. That was his answer. Some people do think that, don't they? And it is true that authority can often be abused. It is sadly true that people in authority can be self-serving and abuse their position. We live in a fallen world. But it is also true, on the other hand, that to be suspicious of all authority is not a good trait. And it often reveals more about the person saying it than it does about the authority that's being questioned. Godliness is not the same as gullibility. But in godliness there should be a capacity to think the best of other people. Rather than the worst. And I I would say that to trust others. Is actually part of a life of faith. And the word here is trust isn't it? Some people find it very hard to trust other people. But sometimes at root of that. Is possibly a problem in being able to trust God. Himself. On the other hand. Leaders are to lead. But also to remember that they're there to serve the whole. As we've been saying. Churches are not committees on the one hand. But they shouldn't be dictatorships either. On the other hand. Somehow there needs to be a biblical balance. Between authority and trust. And mutual love. It's hard to kind of put it into words. Isn't it really? Really? Let me read uh, Mark Dever to you this, this quote. I thought was a good quote. God does not leave us to operate as a committee of the whole. We need to trust that God gives people, particular people, gifts to serve as church leaders. And we should therefore desire to see in our church the right balance of authority and trust. It is a serious spiritual de- deficiency in a church either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or to have members who are incapable of trusting as individual members we must be able to thank God for the leaders he puts among us to recognise those who are so gifted and to trust them there's a verse um, let me just read this verse to you just at the back end of Hebrews chapter 13, Paul, uh, did I say Paul? Then? I didn't mean that. The writer to the Hebrews said, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. What an awesome responsibility that is. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you I've said to you before no one wants to work for a grumpy boss and it is a hard thing if a leader is working in an environment where the people he is seeking to serve are always moaning questioning there's nothing wrong with cooperating and talking together. But if if a leader's work is a burden rather than a joy, it won't do you any good. It can't do you any good. But the words in this bit, it sounds ridiculous to our modern ears. Obey, submit. We, We don't like it, do we? These kind of words are authoritarian. It takes trust, doesn't it? And it is true that trust needs to be earned, but that is only half true because the reality is, in this imperfect world where we are fallen and we make mistakes, trust can never finally be fully earned. Actually, it has to be given as a gift. And it's really an extension of trusting God. Do you get that? to trust your leaders is a gift that you can give to them willingly, rather than being forced or coerced into it. I wonder whether you ever think of relationships in those terms. There is nothing more debilitating to leaders than people who simply do not trust them. I've known I've been in this church 20 years, I've known people who are not here now who said to me things that made me realise that the, the root issue is, I don't trust you. I, don't, I just don't trust you. There, there is nothing more debilitating for a leader than feeling that people don't trust them. And leaders clearly have to earn that. But we need to have a mutual sense of wanting, for Jesus' sake, to trust one another, don't we? And to do it willingly. Our attitude should be, thank you, for placing me here in this church Lord for giving me a church family who care for me for leaders who want the best they are not perfect but I love them and I thank God for them please help me to make their work here a joy and not a burden well here's our summary leadership is helping others to be happy in God Equipping others to make disciples, who make disciples, and leadership is relational and not just functional. So all clear. Three definitions. A lot to chew on there. Now let me ask you. I've got. I could go on for another five minutes. So should we stop there, or would you like me to finish off with the last five minutes? I've got four four things to say. Should we carry on? we'll carry on Okay, this is my last point Okay, if you want to know what a good leader looks like don't look at me where you need to go is to look at Jesus so should we finish with Jesus because that's the best place to finish isn't it Um, I borrowed this from Mark Dever so this is not original but Mark Dever he's got an acronym do you know what an acronym is and it's the word BOSS And the four letters spell something about four aspects of leadership. And we're going to finish with this. And this is Christ. This is how Christ is. So, using the word boss, um, the first one is the word boss. And then the second one is out front. The third one is supply. The fourth one is save. Christ does all these things. I don't like the word boss really, but it fits because it wouldn't make sense if it began with a different letter, would it? It'd be like hoss or something and that wouldn't be a word, so we've used the word boss. Yeah. What I mean is that Jesus is a leader. He commanded many things and he told his disciples to command other people to do and not do certain things. And there are times when leaders have to lead and they have to tell other people what to do or not do it's a massive responsibility and lead, we read a passage there in Hebrews that said leaders have to give an account for that, one day I have to stand before Jesus and Jesus will ask me what an awesome thought how did you get on leading those people in Rotherham those years did you tell them what to do and what not to do, well I was a bit worried that they'd be upset if I was a bit you know that I'm not doing this primarily in one sense for you I'm doing this with one eye on Jesus what an awesome responsibility that is there are times when leaders must lead we can't avoid that our culture would like to avoid that but you will not be a healthy church if leaders don't lead but and Jesus led the second thing though oh oh here oh we've got a diagram I forgot about this here's a little triangle there's a leader at the top and the leader is leading See that? I like pictures. I'd forgotten I'd done this. The leader's leading. So that's good. Here's the second one. Out front. This is a leader who is an example. So he's at the front and he's being an example to the people who are following him. Is that not true of Jesus? Jesus said to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. If that's not an example, what is He's at the front, he's loving them, and he's saying, come with me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What a thing for a leader to say. Peter says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? That you should walk in his steps. He's on the front line, and he's saying, follow me. Good leaders will be an example. Oh, I pray that God would help our leaders to be a good example and what about um, supply well here you can see the leader there is encouraging the people that are following him leadership is about liberating other people and equipping them Jesus prepared his disciples and then sent them Paul did it with Timothy leadership means multiplying not hoarding and good leaders will have an eye to encouraging people could you do this could you do that you seeking your joy in God. Good leaders are not just blindly going off into the sunset, but they want to carry people with them and encourage them and liberate them to be involved, to make disciples. And the last one there is the idea of saving. Actually, this is what makes Christian leadership so distinctive. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of all other lords, and yet He said Himself. I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many that is distinctively Christian some people want to be leaders because they want to be the boss Jesus said if you want to be, if you want to be a leader you will need to put out your life in service for other people all four of these are what Jesus is He is a leader. He is an example. He supplies all our needs and encourages us. And he saves us. And that's what our leaders should do. Let me close by reading to you from 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. This is Peter speaking. To the elders or leaders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder or fellow leader, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That will never fade away. Amen.